and welcome to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. Wellness Wednesday is sponsored by 3W Medical for Women, a nonprofit medical clinic offering free of charge or low-cost reproductive health services to women in the Seattle area regardless of income or insurance status. 3W does not profit off of the reproductive health choices women make. The information shared in this podcast is the opinion of the speaker or speakers. Medical information is not intended as individual medical consultation, but for general education only. Always talk to or consult your own health professional for personalized advice regarding medical decisions. And if you're in the Seattle area, consider making an appointment to consult with us. I'm Teresa, campaign coordinator for 3W Medical for Women, and the host of today's podcast. Hi there, Wellness Wednesday listeners. You're hearing a new voice today. Obviously, I'm not Helen, but this is Teresa here, the campaign coordinator for 3W. Helen couldn't join us for this recording this week, so I am here instead, but hopefully You will still enjoy this episode, but of course you will because we have Christy, our nurse practitioner, on the show today. And this is a really, really interesting topic that I wanted to kind of find out and hear Christy's expertise on, which is the new O-Pill, which has not come out yet, but I've been seeing it quite a lot on Instagram and just all over the internet. It's this new birth control pill, which is over the counter and was recently FDA approved. And so I just wanted to have Christy come on to talk about this What is it? How does it work? What are some things you should know, especially if you are considering this route? It's always good to get education and informed consent on new medications like this. And so, yeah. Hi, Christy. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on board. Always wonderful to have you and just your wealth of knowledge on the show. And I know that many of our patients are also very grateful So yeah, we can just like jump right into it. First question I have is what is OPIL and how does it work? All right. Well, it was really a lot of fun. As you know, I enjoy research looking up OPIL. And while I knew it was a form of a progestin, it was interesting to learn a little bit more about the history. So to start off, I'm just going to talk about basic ingredients in oral contraception for our audience. Mm -hmm. The typical oral contraception that is most common is a combination of estrogen and progesterone or progestins. Mm -hmm. And this O-pill is progestin only, which Mm -hmm. historically and presently, there is a form of contraception that is progestin only because some individuals have a contraindication to using estrogen or taking additional estrogen. And when I say additional, exogenous outside of the body, because we as women have hormones Mm -hmm. both estrogen and progesterone. Mm -hmm. So the O-pill is basically a progestin-only pill. Interestingly enough, it was available by prescription in the past, and Mm -hmm. it was approved by the FDA originally in 1973 Mm -hmm. under the brand name Ovret. And then it was discontinued in 2005, and... Apparently, it wasn't for any safety or 
efficacy reasons. It was just discontinued. Um, And so as I learned later on, there was this company, and there was a couple names of this company, but they applied for an application through the FDA to switch Norgestrel, which is the other name for the O-pill, previous name Ovret, to have it converted from a prescription form to an over-the-counter form. Hmm. And so that is the O-pill. It's a progestin-only oral contraceptive to prevent pregnancy in women. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So there was no, like, you couldn't find any sort of, like, reason for why it had been discontinued? No, no, not, not for, you know, in the, in the literature review that I did, I, it was really not for any reason at all. Interesting. And there's no other difference between this one and the one from the seventies other than that it's over the counter. That's correct. From what I Mm -hmm. understand that is, that is correct. Norgestrel is the name of the progestin. It's a 0.075 milligram tablet. Mm -hmm. Again, originally approved in 73. And then it was went through a process where they just applied to have it converted from a prescription form to an over-the-counter form. And when companies do this, they basically have to go through not only the application process, but Mm -hmm. they have to prove that there is information to support efficacy and safety data. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what that might look like is coming up with a labeling for instruction for use for people. Mm. You know, for example, when people take ibuprofen or Tylenol, Mm -hmm. there are instructions on that bottle on how to take this over-the-counter medication. But in the human condition, sometimes people do not read the instructions. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important ones that I think is missed, in my opinion, having worked in nursing for over 25 years and now having been a provider, what you see people do is take ibuprofen, for example, without food. So there are studies that are required in this process where they need to come up with a label and then test it. How compliant are patients and how is their comprehension of these over-the-counter instructions? Mm. Essentially, can they take this medication appropriately so that they can support the efficacy of this medication? Mm. Interesting. It is very interesting. Is that sort of like the main qualification for it being approved to be over-the-counter is just making sure that it's simple enough to take without like a doctor's guidance? Yes, yes. They have to come up with data. They have to demonstrate the data. It's a little bit more complicated because there Mm -hmm. might be some concerns and then they have to go back and reconcile those concerns or Mm -hmm. demonstrate that maybe they've modified something. So it's not an area that I am extremely familiar with, but Mm -hmm. your invitation to do this and that one particular question converting full prescription to non-prescription was really kind of a fun path for yeah, me to yeah. explore. So I literally just explored the surface. Yeah. And obviously it takes a lot of time because if you think about right. it, the original was approved in 73 and 
It was removed in 2005. Mm -hmm. They applied for their application in 2022. And then they had to amend some things on their application Mm -hmm. at the end of 2022. And so, like, it doesn't take a long time, but it's been about a year under the way, if not 18 months. And then, as I understand, it could be released in the first quarter of 2024. Mm -hmm. So the whole FDA approval, prescription, Mm -hmm. non-prescription, it's very interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. Yeah. And as a healthcare provider, when we see certain medications become available over the counter, Mm-hmm. I can think of a handful where I go, I really wish these weren't over the counter. Yeah. And maybe it's because I'm so cautious with my care with patients. And I think there are certain tips and educational points that are really important mm-hmm. to discuss with a patient, frankly, in an office setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, if there was like a patient who came in who is interested in this pill, like what sort of information would you want to give them? Or like, yeah, how does it work? It's progestin only. What What's going on in the body when someone were to take this? Okay, so that's a really good question. Progestin-only medications and the O-pill being a progestin-only medication, basically the mechanism of action is something that I like to discuss with the patient. Usually when patients come in, we do a contraception evaluation where we literally have a chart from the CDC with the most effective Mm -hmm. to the least effective, common side effects. And in regard to this particular one, the mechanism is basically thickening the cervical mucus, which plugs the cervix or helps prevent entrance of sperm or reduce the entrance of sperm. Mm. It can stop ovulation. However, four out of 10 women may continue to ovulate. And then it thins the uterine lining, which makes it less than ideal for implantation of a conceived Mm. egg. There are contraindications that should be discussed with patients. And while progestin-only oral contraception is seen as lower risk profile compared to estrogen-containing contraceptions, there are definitely some things that women should know about. Some of the common things that I will hear from women are breast tenderness, maybe some transient dizziness, headache, mood changes. Yeah, that, Mm -hmm. that off the top of my head, those are some of the most common. There's other things that I think are important. I think it's really important when you have a patient that you're doing a very thorough review of her past medical history. You also want to consider immediate family members, mother, father, brother, sister, family history, just to see if there's anything that might pose a risk to this person in taking this medication. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we also go through here at 3W, because we have the luxury of longer appointments, we can thoroughly Mm -hmm. educate and we offer and provide our patients with what's called a medical eligibility criteria chart. Hmm. This is something that really should be reviewed in light of the patient's history, maybe reaching out into their immediate family history. For example, if they have a history of 
blood clots or coagulopathies, mm. an issue with their blood clotting, that would be a contraindication to taking an estrogen combined with progestin. While blood clots are not common with progestin, they are possible. So that mm. is a risk factor, although it's it's relatively low. And on this chart, it offers women a glance at many, many conditions or chronic illnesses that women might have. And then it kind of rates at what risk is a certain type of contraception, for example, on a, a range from one to four. Mm-hmm. And so for progestin only, the some of the, the bigger concerns would be somebody with some sort of a breast cancer history. And certainly if they had like lupus, Mm-hmm. Those are the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there currently any progestin-only birth control medications that are out right now? Not over-the-counter, but mm-hmm. prescription forms, yes. Okay. Yeah. And so some of those, an example of that would be the implanted um, birth controls. Right. Nexplanon, mm-hmm. which is typically implanted into the arm. And then intrauterine devices. There are tons of different progestin-only pills. We call them POPs for short. Mm-hmm. And those are also, you know, highly used by women. Yeah. I think with any medication, Teresa, one of the important things is, and, you know, again, it goes back to time. How much time do we have to set aside for education mm-hmm. with people in general in traditional medical clinics? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest, there's not a lot of time when you're seeing anywhere from 18 to 24 patients a right. day to really hone in and educate the patient on the mechanism of action, the common side effects. Things that are important to look at are just kind of like basic things with women mm-hmm. when you're thinking about contraception, like their weight, what is their blood pressure, any breast concerns in their history, really looking at potential chondro- – they might not even be aware of something mm-hmm. that could be a potential issue. For example, women that have headaches, chronic headaches mm. or chronic migraines with an aura effect, that could be a contraindication. And again, this is with combined estrogen and progesterone. But with any drug, I think it's great to have a conversation with patients so that they can receive a very in-depth mm-hmm. informed consent. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. That's something I've learned since working here and also having been a patient of yours a couple of times is like how important it is to have that knowledge before making a decision on any medication essentially. And yeah, that can be really difficult if this is over the counter and you just got a tiny little box. You know, there's only so much information that can be said there, especially if people's health is so individualized. You know, it's not going to cover everything. Right. Yeah. And so that's why we here at 3W really encourage you, like if this is something that you're considering, you know, talk to your doctor about, you know, how this will affect you personally considering your own medical history and your own health and things like that. Definitely, Um, definitely. And when you think about it being over-the-counter, think about the population that it is being marketed to. And mm -hmm. so it's going to be women of reproductive age, anybody that's menstruating. But what if it fell into the hands of somebody that wasn't menstruating? Mm -hmm. You know, I can think of sweet 
young girls that I've had in my office just for wellness exams over the years. And there's this mystery behind the quote unquote pill and feeling like you're a woman or you're Mm. grown up. Mm -hmm. You can just kind of see it. And so you want to, while it's exciting for a young girl to become a woman or, you know, actively start menstruating, the definition of a woman and the time frame is debatable for for many people, but Mm. and for cultures, you know, it's different. But I think one thing to think about is you wouldn't want somebody to start taking this medication if they weren't actually menstruating. Mm -hmm. And then one of the hugest deterrents for many patients, I have had many anecdotal reports, is a very simple question. How good are you at taking pills? Right. And some Mm -hmm. people will say, I am horrible at taking pills. And so when we think about medicine, not just with contraception, but with medicines, we want to make it easy for people to take. For example, let's say, Teresa, I have to have somebody on a therapeutic regimen with a prescription medication, and we are planning a month to three months. I want to not only make this simple for the patient, meaning they don't have to take it several times a day and that it doesn't have a profile or a side effect profile that's going to be Mm -hmm. making the patient feel uncomfortable because then they're going to be less compliant with follow-through. So with progestin only, one of the major stipulations is that you really should take it at the same time every single Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about within two to three hours of the same time. If wow. it's missed, wow, it's no longer effective. Oh. And not only that, I think people underappreciate the impact of exogenous hormones on how a woman feels. Just her mm. baseline equilibrium. Right. It changes her mood. Yeah. She might get a headache, breast tenderness. She might have what's called breakthrough bleeding, Mm. which is when there's a change in the hormones, then all of a sudden you start having spotting. And that can be worrisome if it's not an anticipated menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. on the calendar. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's very important about how to take it, the consistency. And then if for some reason it was missed, then what's next? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. When do you take the next one? And then how long do you wait from beginning your progestin-only pill before it's effective? Mm-hmm. And I remember in the past it used to be a good seven days, and now it's two days, mm-hmm. so 48 wow. hours that Very you need to constant. use an alternative backup method or avoid intercourse Mm -hmm. until it becomes effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know for myself, I'm not very good at taking my pills. My mom is always like, did you take your multivitamin? I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's a lot of pressure, especially for how often that is. Yeah, from what I read, it's like... Yeah, pretty a few times a week or you something? literally take it every single day. And oh, every pe- day. Every day. It's every single day. Mm-hmm. But it has to be taken at the same time mm-hmm. or within two to three hours. Yeah. Every single day. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you decide you're gonna take it at eight in the morning when you get up every day, then 
you probably should set an alarm for eight in the morning every Mm -hmm. single day. And that's what I'll tell people if they're not good about taking pills. And then just keep in mind, if it's not taken by 10 or 11, Mm -hmm. then you're falling into that gray area where it might not be effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's like the question of, oh, I slept in, I woke up at 11 instead of eight, you know, do I take two? Do I, when do I take the next one? Yeah, there's just so many questions Mm -hmm. around that. So I think it's just nice to be established with a a healthcare clinician that you trust and whose philosophy of care aligns with yours and you know you're going to get neutral, unbiased educational information to make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, what are, and you you probably touched on this a little bit, but sort of what are the potential side effects or risks, in your opinion, with taking this pill? So with progestin only, the most common anecdotal and documented in the literature side effects are going to be, it could be transient nausea. So Mm -hmm. you might have some nausea in the beginning and then it might go away. Transient dizziness, you can have headache, breast tenderness. Those are going to be the most common. Sometimes Mm -hmm. breakthrough bleeding, so an unanticipated spotting event or menstruation outside of when you would expect. But those are the most common that I hear. In fact, the most common that I hear from women are the breast tenderness headaches and then Mm -hmm. maybe some mood changes. I see. Since this is progestin only, would you say that the sort of side effects would be similar? Like for OPIL, the side effects would be similar for something like an IUD or an explanon? It's possible. But what I will tell you, Teresa, is... Anecdotally, every woman has such a unique Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. body and perception of symptoms and experience with symptoms. While there's a lot of similarities, I wouldn't necessarily say progestin-only nexplanon will have similar side effects as Mm -hmm. IUD nexplanon. Mm -hmm. I think the one that kind of covers broadly all of them are this unappreciated concern with kind of a mood change, depression or lack of motivation, maybe some anxiety. And then when they have that contraception removed, I've had lots of anecdotal reports of how much better they feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just really interesting. And, And then keep in mind, sometimes those medications, for example, with IUD, sometimes they can be beneficial with women if they're having some sort of a disease process that this hormone is being used as a therapeutic treatment. But, mm. you know, most of the time it's being used as contraception. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's re- it's just really interesting. I don't think we spend a lot of time as healthcare providers really following up on medications that we prescribe mm. on patients. But mm-hmm. most of the time when patients come to me, they're their their reports will be, you know, I've been on birth control for so many years. I don't even know what it's like to feel my body in the natural wow. state. And so wow. it's just a curiosity when they come to that decision to have it removed. And it's interesting. We don't always have the opportunity to follow up with them yeah. because we don't manage primary care here at 3W. Mm-hmm. But when we do, it's really interesting to hear their 
experiences shared with how how they felt a change in their health after yeah, it was removed. Yeah, yeah, we do IUD removals here, and we recently introduced Nexplanon removals. And I'm sure you can speak on this, but I mean, from the stories I've heard, when patients go through with that procedure of the removal, you've mentioned like they're just it's just night and day for them. Mm-hmm. Like how much relief mm-hmm. they experience after going yeah. through with that. Definitely. They are very, very happy. Mm -hmm. Does Opil prevent STIs? This is a great question. Oral contraception does not prevent STIs. Mm -hmm. Implanted contraception does not prevent STIs. Mm -hmm. There is not a contraception that prevents STIs. So I'm so (laughs) glad you're asking this question because I think what happens, honestly, Teresa, When women are in a situation of not being in a committed relationship and they use a form of birth control, it, I, and I think if you just look at the, just look at the potential situation and in the human condition, you would really have to exercise a commitment to using a condom consistently Mm -hmm. from start to finish of the sexual act. And mm-hmm. even with this barrier of a condom, that will offer protection, but it's not 100%. Right. So mm-hmm. it does not prevent STIs. Mm-hmm. So if women are using um, contraception, the additional contraception or barrier found with a condom is what they can use mm-hmm. to help support mm-hmm. their health and wellness and prevent acquiring a sexually transmitted mm-hmm. infection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to take this pill every day, but also use a condom if you're going to have sexual intercourse. Exactly. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. I think what happens is sometimes there's this convenience that's found Mm -hmm. with contraception. And then, you know, sometimes it's just not a priority then to think about this additional Mm -hmm. barrier because you know you're protected against pregnancy, or at least that's the the theoretical. When women take oral contraceptives, and if they're involved in a relationship and their partner is aware they're taking oral contraceptives, they're less likely to use condoms oh, because I condoms see. are seen as a form of contraception. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes, while I have many, many patients that are very, very disciplined. Yeah. They're very disciplined to use a condom from start to finish, regardless of the form of birth control that they might be on. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes that discipline can be attenuated knowing that somebody Mm -hmm. is using an alternative form of contraception. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, kind of speaking on the, the convenience of it, it's like, this is like the main marketing tactic for Opil and it's marketed very well like I was looking at the website and you know it's marketed towards younger women and it it they'll send you a prescription all you have to do is click the order button and you get in the mail and all you got to do is take it you know it's it seems like oh wow this is really easy this is super great and convenient but it seems like from what you said it's really dependent on yourself of how disciplined are you in taking this pill and um there there's a lot of other factors other than just 
oh, they'll just send it to me and I can just take it. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting. I'm very interested to see when this is put out, yeah, what the data shows after that and its effectiveness and what people's experiences are with it. Yeah, it will be really interesting. I mean, some of the things that they itemize uh, as barriers to getting oral contraception might include time, taking time off work, mm-hmm. loss of income with that time off work to go and see a healthcare clinician for a formal evaluation and education and what I like to then call informed consent to make a decision is this contraceptive good for you or appropriate for you? Are you a candidate for it? Mm-hmm. And then possibly follow up. I mean, ideally, if somebody's taking a new medication, it and it could be many medications. For example, if I initiate a blood pressure medication, mm-hmm. I'll have that patient back to assess the efficacy and are there any bothersome side effects? Just check in with my patient. And I think we've lost that touch in medicine. Yeah. And so I think there is huge value in mm-hmm. education, making an informed decision. But not only that, if if the patient decides to pursue something, how about following up? Let's just mm-hmm. see how does it affect this individual patient? While the data might show, yeah, there's no impact on blood pressure, but there is on weight. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, in medicine, we know if your weight increases, then potentially your blood pressure can go up. So mm-hmm. I think it's good to check in with people. And traditionally, when people do get oral contraceptives from their healthcare provider, then it's kind of an annual check-in from there. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see it as a huge barrier. I see it more as a benefit mm-hmm. and yeah. a safety net. That's mm-hmm. how I see it. But I look at medicine a little bit different. Yeah. Well, it's very much an investment. Like, you know, you get, you do have to take the time out of your day, but ultimately the information that, I mean, you provide, Christy, has really benefited me in my own decisions throughout the course of like the last two years that I've been here. And so it's like, yeah, maybe there's there's some work that needs to be done, but it's so worth it in the long run. Yes, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. It is. It's an investment in yourself, in your future health and wellness. So why not, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not healthy, then you can't do many things. right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else that you want people to know about this medication or just any other thoughts? You know, I was just kind of looking over some of my notes with mm-hmm. the FDA oh, yeah, um, approval. Yeah, I know. just, it's just kind of interesting to kind of go down that path. And I did just a sentence popped out to me that it was the distribution was stopped by the company for marketing reasons, not for safety or efficacy reasons. Oh, That's what they said. Yeah. And mm. that was in 2005. And so then. Ten years after that, a drug company approached the FDA multiple times to get advice on converting from prescription to over-the-counter or Mm non-prescription. So, 
Interesting. And it looks like there was some challenges that were met in May of 2023 with advisory committee meetings and such as part of the process. So, I mean, there is a lot of different things that go into converting from prescription to over-the-counter, and I don't pretend to be an expert on it at all. But it is interesting um, to kind of look at that Mm. and see what types of medical providers are endorsing Mm. the availability and the conversion or even reviewing the safety and efficacy literature or studies that might have been held to support this application and ultimately the decision. So Yeah, yeah. Could you send me links to your findings? All of the links that that I accessed for all of the information that has supported our conversation, I will definitely send to you. Yeah, Yeah. be happy to. Awesome. Thanks so much, Christy. Yeah. If you have any other questions about OPIL, yeah, I'll include all of the resources that Christy has to provide. And yeah, if this is something that you're considering, we highly, highly recommend that you speak with your provider or even come in here to talk about it, do your research. We're all about education and informed consent here at 3W. But yeah, hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week and be well. Thank you. For more information about 3W, please visit our website at 3wmedical.org. That's the number three, the letter W, medical.org. From there, you can learn more about the services we provide, book an appointment, or even make a donation if you'd like to help support our mission. You can also call our office at 206-588-0311. That's 206-588-0311. If you liked this episode, please share it with others and consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay healthy and be well.